The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by Rival Fantasy. I'm your host, James Anderson, and as promised, this week's episode is just going to be a mailbag episode. Uh, I'm sure you're used to those by now. Uh, final Wednesday of every month, I'll do one of these. And I planned on getting to as many questions as I could, and I, I thought I might be able to get to all of them. And then I saw how many you guys asked, and I realized uh, this afternoon I wasn't going to be able to get to all of them on the pod. I will get to about 95% of them on the article version, which will go up Thursday, uh, but just not going to be able to fit them all into the podcast. Uh, let's start things off with, I got a couple questions on Josh Young, uh, my buddy Rob DiPietro, uh, pull hitter, Patreon, definitely recommend uh, supporting what Rob's doing over there. It's, it's great, uh, really invaluable stuff for uh, in-season management. And then Jason Erb also had a, a question about Josh Young. Uh, Rob's question was, Josh Young will finish 2023 as the blank ranked player on a 15 team auction calculator. And Jason asked uh, if there's anything under the hood that would give you concern about Josh Young, noting just how good he's looked so far uh, for, for Rob's question. I'll say Young finishes as the 115th ranked player one, one five in a 15 team auction calculator. Uh, that's that's roughly where Matt Chapman finished last season, and Chapman was my comp for Young coming into the year. Uh, to to Jason's question, obviously Young's contact rate and whiff rate not not ideal, but when you factor in the context, I think they're they're totally fine. It, you know, he's a corner infielder who's getting to his game power uh, or getting the significant game power. Uh, so I don't think we should, you know, this is not, this is not Young's peak, right? We're, we're a couple of years away probably from Josh Young's peak. And uh, this is just a, a really strong start to his uh, rookie season. Um, I, I'd expect him to just kind of continue to refine the approach in the coming years and, and he'll probably peak in a couple of years. And uh, my comp was to sort of 2022 Matt Chapman, not whatever this 2023 version is Matt Chapman, but uh Young could eventually be one of the top third basemen for fantasy, and he's, he's out already a guy that you're starting in all your formats. Uh, Mike Sheets asks, what's the realistic timetable for Heston Kierstead? 
could he be up this year if the O's deal with injuries? Uh, so fortunately for those who have Kierstad in dynasty, he's played as many games at first base as he has in right field this year. So he's also playing DH. So there's several avenues to playing time here for Kierstad long-term, even in this super crowded organization. Uh, but if you look at the, the org chart just for 2023, Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, they're kind of the obvious outfield options at triple a if the orioles deal with injuries or trade a guy or just take a take playing time away from a guy so I, a lot would have to happen i think both with kirstad just really banging down the door you know he hasn't even gotten a triple a yet um so he would have to really force the issue and i think they'd have to have probably multiple injuries for him to get a look in the outfield this year uh, he's not on the 40-man roster uh, i think it's more likely that when they go to select a contract of one of their top prospects, it's Kowser or it's Jordan Westberg who gets added to the 40 man roster this season. So uh, they just, they have such a crowded situation and we've got more questions about that. feels like every one of these episodes, there's some sort of question about how all these Orioles players are going to get playing time. Uh, but yeah, I think Kierstad's more of, it's a good story how, how good he's been this year, kind of capitalizing on his or building off of his run in the Arizona fall league. But I uh, think Kirsten's just more of a 2024 guy. Uh, the fact that he's playing uh, first base, you know, half the time at AAA, and I look at, you know, Kowser, Stowers, uh, Hayes, and Mullins have been great this year. His his long-term home might be just a combination of, of first base and DH, and he, and he might get platooned. Uh, Eric Halterman, a uh, co-worker here at, at Rotowire, he says when a when a prospect gets called up unusually quickly, like Mason Miller or Zach Neto, and we have much less statistical data than we're used to, what factors push you towards his team must know something versus this guy's obviously not ready yet. So I think it's it's pretty rare for a legitimate prospect to get the call and for it to be clear from the outside that they're not ready. Uh, the you know, it, it happens sometimes, but usually it's we just don't have enough uh, to say he's definitely not ready. Uh, we could say he's he's probably not ready. Um, yeah, I think we should look at the context with every one of these players, uh, with, with Miller and Neto specifically. It's kind of clear uh, reasons that you can sort of see from the team standpoint why they got the call when they did. Uh, the A's rotation is terrible, and Miller's short-term and long-term health are – far from guaranteed. So why not just get him into the big league rotation as soon as he could reasonably be expected to hold his own? You know, they're obviously not going to do anything this year as a team, but uh, it doesn't make any sense to just keep a guy in the minors who, you know, he, Miller could suffer another serious injury at any point. Right. So if he's already one of the you know, two or three best pitchers in the entire organization, uh, most big league ready pitchers for, for a rotation, in the entire organization, why not just get him up to the big leagues? Uh, and with with pitchers, we just we have so much crucial data at our disposal uh, with these guys, uh, AAA data, uh, spring training games. When when we're talking about this early in the season, uh, I don't think you need a ton of data on a pitcher to kind of get a sense of just how ready they are. Uh, from a stuff standpoint, um, you know, you're never you're never going to know if a guy has it mentally to kind of be a big league starter. That's 
just such a, a mental grind. But, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell that from a guy, even if you saw like 30 starts of them at, at AAA, you're not going to know if they're going to be able to handle it in the big league. So um, we're able to look at a guy like Mason Miller's stuff and we know how good it is, even if it's only been a, a handful of starts um, factoring in like spring training, upper levels and everything like that. Um, and then with, with position players, it's, it's definitely different. It's much less kind of like, here are the pitches, here's the command. Uh, he should be pretty solid or, or he should get lit up um, with, with hitters. It's just so tough, you know, projecting a hit tool of a guy at double a to the big leagues is one of the toughest things uh, you can do when you're prospecting. Uh, but with the angels, we, we sort of knew what they were doing before they did it. Uh, we didn't know they were going to do it this early, but they went into the season without a viable everyday shortstop. Everyone knew that we could all look at the depth chart and be like, who's going to play shortstop for these guys. Uh, so they kind of told us before the season that this was the plan. Uh, it definitely happened sooner than anyone anticipated, I think, but uh, he had that red hot start at double a, they, they knew internally that at some point he was going to get the job and they were just like, let's just do it now. Uh, I, I said in, in Neto's uh, preseason outlook that it would be surprising if he were better than league average, if the angels push him to the majors in his f- first full season as a pro. And I think that still applies. I, I definitely don't think you can look at Neto's, uh, you know, amount of experience in pro ball and, uh, I don't think you'll find like any scouting report where it's like this, this guy's going to be ready to hit big league pitching right away. Uh, there, there were scouts who thought. Michael Harris was ready last year when he got the call from double a, but there just wasn't enough there really with Neto for anyone to confidently say he was ready. Uh, and I, I think you should kind of cap the expectations on a guy like that at, you know, can he just sort of be good enough to stay in the majors and not get sent back down to triple a, I, I think Neto can be that good. Um, but uh, he got called up more because this was just part of the plan all along than the angels just being like, Oh, Oh my God, we got to get this guy to the big leagues. Um, when it's a to more to sort of Eric's question, uh, generally, uh, when it's, when it's a smart team with a strong track record, like last year with, with Atlanta, Michael Harris, uh, maybe those surprise promotions can get more of the kind of, they must know something, uh, qualification, but there's just like, we just talked about with, with Neto, with Miller, with each of these guys, there's just so much that we're, we're looking at. We're looking at their performance. We're looking at the team context. We're looking at the injury track record. We're looking at uh, the organizational depth chart, all that stuff. So um, it's, it's definitely kind of a case by case thing, but I think with, with Miller and Neto uh, I thought it was, it was clear that Miller's stuff was ready for prime time uh, just based on everything we saw. Uh, you know, the one started double A, the one started triple A, uh, all the noise around him coming out of spring training and out of the Arizona Fall League last year. Uh, we we didn't know. We don't know. We still don't know if he's going to be able to be a guy that's consistently going, uh, you know, five plus innings. Um, but I think it was pretty clear why he got the call when he did. And, and same thing with Neto. Uh, all right. I'm going to head to a quick message from the sponsors. But when I come back, uh, I will answer question that's on everyone's mind uh what what's going on here with with andrew abbott 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A new MLB season means it's time for a new kind of daily fantasy baseball. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played and they've brought new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. Rival Fantasy's games include Fantasy Bingo, Head-to-Head Player Challenges, and Fantasy Book, where users can select over-unders for two to five players. With games like this, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use the, ro- the code MLB at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step up to the plate and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. Baseball is back. Swing into the MLB season with vivid seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups and biggest games of the year. Every crack of the bat, every deep center fly, and every heart-pounding double play of your favorite team live and in person. Plus, with Vivid Seats Rewards, now you earn rewards with every single ticket purchase. 
Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward just by 10 tickets than simply cash in your credit toward your 11th ticket purchase. It's that easy. Pro reward tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free 11th ticket even faster. From behind the plate to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. All right, so uh, I mentioned in, in my call for questions in, in that tweet, just basically, I don't want to get 10 questions about Andrew Abbott, so just consider that your your first, <laughs> that your Andrew Abbott question will get answered. Uh, he's definitely the person I've gotten the most questions about so far this month, and uh, so I, you know, I, I was going to address it regardless. Uh, shouts to Reese White for sending in, like, the, the token tweet, um, but uh you know, it so obviously the numbers for Andrew Abbott are are really pretty ridiculous. Now, for what it's worth, uh, two of the lineups that Abbott dominated at Double A after making twenty starts there last year were terrible lineups with zero top four hundred prospects: uh, Mississippi, the Atlanta Double A affiliate, and Tennessee, the the Cubs Double A affiliate. Uh, both of those rosters are just kind of as bad as or lineups are as bad as you'll see at double a and then the other lineup he faced was rocket city in which zach nato uh basically the only kind of prospect who i would say is on abbott's level in terms of a double a performer that he's faced that he faced in any of those three starts uh Neto went one for three with two walks uh the rest of that lineup was pretty bad uh obviously edgar caro is a real prospect but he's also a 20 year old who jumped over high a so uh, basically, all that to say that Abbott dominating those three lineups is it's meaningful. Like the way that he did it, the the level of domination is meaningful. But it, I think it's worth noting that he really didn't face uh, any real Double A caliber hitting prospects other than Zach Neto in those three starts. And uh, but let's let's look at the stuff. So I, I reached out to my buddy Dylan White at, at Baseball America. Uh, just seeing what kind of data he's got on, on Abbott's uh, pitches and uh, fastballs been sitting 93 touching 96. That's, that's about a, up a tick basically on, on what he was last year. Uh, the, the baseball America scouting report I saw from before the season, I think he was like 90 to 94. So sitting 93 touching 96. That's, that's good. That's kind of the high end of where we could expect his fastball to be. Uh, there's no real projection left in Abbott's body at all. So uh, any additional um, ticks of velo he gets will have to be via something else other than just kind of growing into it. Um, so I, you know, that's great. Uh, 40% whiffs on the fastball. That's, that's crazy. Uh, 60% whiffs on his, on his slider. That's even crazier. Uh, he's, I think he's kind of optimized the, the low 80 slider to be more of a, a sweeper than it was maybe kind of in the middle of last year. Uh, change up and curveball are, are average ish. Um, I, my, my instinct here is that based on the amount of questions I've gotten about Abbott, is that he's probably a sell high in theory. Uh, can you add a guy off waivers and then turn around and sell him high less than a month later? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you can. Um, I, I think this, like the month of April, 2023, Abbott's Q rating is basically higher than it, it might ever be. Um, now, 
at the same time, the quality of his fastball and slider and the level of domination in a return trip to double A, uh, I think that's got him kind of in my head as sort of like a borderline top 100 prospect right now. Um, so he's really improved his stock. Uh, and if you look at the the Reds rotation, it, it's not that hard to envision him looking like their fourth best starting pitcher by like late May, early June. So uh, there's some redraft potential here as well. Of course, you know, pitching for the Reds, pitching half your games at Great American Ballpark. Uh, not not the type of pitching prospect I'm going to be all over in Fab if and when he gets the call. But he's helped his he's helped his uh, prospect stock a ton this year already in just three starts at Double A. But I I just think uh, the amount of questions I'm getting about him has oversold sort of how excited we should actually be about Abbott for for fantasy. Uh, my my partner Todd Whitestone, uh, he's he's the the fab wizard of the the NFBC teams that we co-manage together. Um, he wants to know what's the best guess on the ETA for the two Gavins, Gavin Stone with the Dodgers, Gavin Williams with the Guardians, and how will they perform? So Stone and Williams uh, will they'll have massive redraft appeal for me, and and they should for you guys as well. If and when they get the call, uh, Stone is coming off his best start of the year at AAA, and Williams just got the bump to AAA. So I, I kind of think they're both on track to debut roughly in June sometime. But, I mean, I think Gavin Williams could get big league hitters out today. I think Gavin Stone, if the changeup's working, like he had some kind of if he starts early in the year. But uh, the Gavin Stone we saw in spring training – and Gavin Williams, we've seen this year at Double A. Those are guys who are ready to to get big league hitters out as starters. Uh, like the team context with both guys, especially with Stone, obviously. So let's assume they both come up sometime in June. Looking at the rest of the pitching prospects that are out there, I think these might be the last two guys who are worth a triple digit bid, a triple digit fab bid out of a thousand. Uh, so big time appeal if they get uh, the call. And I, I guess we're probably six-ish weeks away from it happening for both these guys. But uh, obviously, it could be sooner, it could be later, uh, based on a variety of factors. Uh, last week's podcast guest, uh, John Legaza of MLB Moving Averages, asks, which bad team prospect outfielder has the best chance of sticking in redraft? Alex Call and Stone Garrett with the Nationals, uh, Connor Capel with the A's, Kerry Carpenter with the Tigers. Uh, you know, it's, it's Carpenter for me. Um, there's, there's something to see there with, with call and Garrett and, and Capel, but I, you know, Carpenter's the only one of these guys I even considered, uh, at, at the draft table. And I did take him as a starting outfielder for my main event team. So obviously I, I believe in Carpenter. Um, he got his first start all year against the lefty yesterday and he homered off Eric Lauer in Milwaukee. So that's a really good sign. He's primarily hit cleanup against righties. Um, now, Carpenter wasn't acquired by the current regime in Detroit, and he's not a good defender. He kind of belongs at DH. So they might not be loyal to him if he goes through some kind of extended slump. And, you know, obviously these sort of um, new school front offices, they aren't very interested in DH only types. So, 
they might not have acquired Kerry Carpenter in the first place, but you look at that roster, I mean, he's he's one of the only guys that has any argument to be hitting in the middle of a big league lineup. So um, I like Carpenter quite a bit. I like him even if he's only playing against righties. Like I said before the season uh, to Tigers fan and, and friend Nick, Nick uh, or uh, uh, wait, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> sorry, uh, Nick Schlane. Um, I said before the season that to Schlane that, uh, that he could, he could hit 25 homers, even if he's on the strong side of a platoon. Um, so yeah, I, I think Carpenter has legit mixed league appeal, whereas call Garrett and Capel are more sort of guys that you stream in, uh, when they have seven games in a week or something like that. Uh, okay. Eric Somolsky, uh, friend of the show, um, friend in the industry. He wants to know, um, probably, probably a bitter question here. Will Brian Bayo have any redraft value this year? Uh, I, I think we'll we're here we'll hear from Bayo again. You know, he had two shaky starts to the big leagues. Probably was rushed into the big league rotation. Uh they didn't really need to do that, I don't think. Um, but they did it anyway and pulled the plug. So I, I think Bayo, we probably see a triple A for I don't know, six weeks, something like that, and then he's back up. Uh, so I, I think he'll be heard from again, but he's not the type of guy that you want to stash, I don't think, in, in seven man bench leagues. And then Eric also wanted to know. Um, that with Ronnie Mauricio getting second base reps now for the Mets or uh, for the Mets AAA affiliate, uh, when do you, when do we think he's up and will he be viable in 12 or just 15 team leagues? Uh, yeah, so Mauricio's definitely helped his fantasy stock or dynasty stock, uh, significantly just based on how much game power he's getting to. But the you know, the, the plate discipline is still you know, it's very aggressive right now. Uh, he's not striking out too much, but he's not walking enough probably for me to have any faith in him having success against big league pitching uh, in terms of batting average or OVP this year. Uh, he's just massive Mauricio, by the way. I, I got to see him in person uh, when I was down in Florida. And, you know, we talk about projection a lot with prospects and uh, physical projection. And Mauricio is just the uh, epitome of what we're talking about. Like when he signed as a, as a high pedigree, uh, 16 year old, like he was just rail thin and it was just kind of like, you know, he's, he's going to grow into power. Everyone, everyone thinks he's going to grow into power. I mean, he is massive now. Um, so I'm not surprised at how much game power he's getting to. Uh, but if the Mets slash Buck Showalter can't give Brett Beatty everyday playing time and they can't give, Francisco Alvarez more than a 50-50 split with Thomas Nito. It's hard to feel optimistic about Mauricio playing enough if and when he gets the call that we would want to use him even in 15 team leagues on a regular basis. Like, you know, he would need to be playing pretty much every day to make up for the fact that he's probably like a one category guy. Like you're basically just using him for the power if he gets up this year. So he's helped his dynasty stock a ton, Ryan Mauricio. Uh, just by the the power hitter he's turned himself into, but I don't see him either playing enough or being good enough in terms of batting average to be all that useful this year. Uh, could be wrong though. Uh, Dandy F Chiggins, should everyone? I got a couple questions here about uh, guys that people want to know if they should be patient with. Um, should everyone stay patient with Gunnar Henderson? Are you still as high on him as you ever were? Also, any Jordan Walker worries, or will he be fine? 
And then your name here says it is getting more and more difficult holding both Gunnar Henderson and Anthony Volpe for their upside while having productive veterans get gobbled up off the waiver wire. How long do you hold such high upside players when other injuries and underperforming uh, has plagued my team the first three weeks? So uh, I am not anywhere near as optimistic about Gunnar Henderson for redraft as I was a month ago. Um, thankfully, I didn't end up with a ton of Gunnar Henderson in redraft, but I was I was open to taking him where he was going, and that I I regretted having any Gunnar Henderson like a week into the season. I just became very obvious to me that that was a, a stupid pick. Uh, and it doesn't really mean anything about Henderson's long-term value, but uh, he's just, he's not swinging the bat enough. Uh, and the park is, is bad. And uh, you know, he's got issues against lefties. So it's just, he's a, he's a tough guy right now in redraft. I think you got to hold him. I don't think it's too actionable. I think you you'd sit him where you can when they've got a bunch of lefties coming up or something like that. But uh it's not that actionable right now. Like you can maybe buy low on Henderson and dynasty. Uh, I wouldn't recommend trading him right now in dynasty. I'm still going to have him ranked as a top 40 player for dynasty on, on next week's update. Uh, and so, and I just don't, I don't think you can really drop him either in, in redraft. Like maybe if it's a super shallow league uh, and you just have a loaded corner infield situation, you're just never going to play him maybe you can move on from him, but I think you're just kind of stuck with Henderson and redraft right now. And there, there'll be brighter days ahead. Like Henderson is, is so talented. He could go on uh, just a monster tear in June and July or something. And uh, you'll be feeling a lot better about it, but uh, I think you're just kind of stuck with him in redraft and would recommend selling uh, Henderson and dynasty right now. Uh, Jordan Walker, his, his batting average is actually higher right now than I expected it to be. Uh, he's hitting 274. Uh, but it should probably regress down from there. Uh, I would not be surprised if Walker got optioned to AAA sometime soon, just due to how crowded things are. Uh, Lars Newtbar looks awesome. Like Newtbar is, like I, I think Newtbar is kind of uh, turning into a just a, an absolute uh, monster guy that you, you definitely want to have in Dynasty. Um, maybe they could trade Tyler O'Neill and kind of loosen up this logjam a little bit, but. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Walker goes back to AAA and, and he's just not adding any value in the field at all. So uh, that makes sense to me. Um, so I'm not worried about Walker relative to my expectations, but I'm sure he's not doing as much damage as those who drafted him hoped he would. Um, and then to the, the question from uh, your name here, holding both Henderson and Volpe is just a perfect example of why you don't want to leave a draft with too many unproven hitters on the same roster, especially guys that you have to pay up for uh, because you know, holding just Henderson or holding Volpe, that's not the end of the world. And, and I'd still feel fine starting both of those guys, uh, Volpe, especially just based on how much he's running. Uh, but when you have both those guys and you're, I assume you're probably not starting them very often and you can't scoop these guys up off waivers I could see how that's very frustrating. Uh, I think they're both still top 300 players for redraft. So again, like I, I just don't see how you could drop them unless it's just like, I don't know what caliber guys are out there. Like I don't think you should be kicking yourself for not dropping Gunnar Henderson for um, 
Brent Rooker or something like that. But um, yeah, it's just, that's, that's partly why you just, there's nothing wrong with grabbing one prospect in a draft or maybe some flyers with your late picks, but you don't want to be taking two guys like this um, where you just don't really know what you're getting. Uh, and, you, and you had to use high pick on those guys, unless you took Volpe earlier in draft season. Uh, speaking of Brent Rooker, uh, CJ baseball asks if I'm buying Brent Rooker in deeper redraft leagues. Uh, well, I haven't bought into Rooker in any leagues. Um, if he was still out there in my deeper redraft leagues, and I could add him, I would. Uh, he's a number three hitter who's red hot at the plate right now, and he's been playing against righties and lefties. So I think you could ride that in the short term if you got a spot in your lineup for him. Uh, but as soon as he starts sitting against most righties or as soon as the strikeouts spike, and I kind of think both those things will happen at some point, then I think you got to burn and churn with Rooker. Uh, but you ride, it, ride him while he's hot, ride him while he's uh, playing and hitting high in that lineup every day. All right, Ted Morgan, if – Jonathan Classe with the Mariners stays healthy this year. What is the chance he gets significant time in double A with a chance at triple A? What is a 75th percentile outcome for him? So Classe is playing at uh, high A Everett and Everett is an extreme hitters park as is Spokane. And those are the two parks where his four home runs have been hit. Uh, he's at an age appropriate level. And he's striking out 29.3% of the time. Um, and I think the 29.3% strikeout rate is going to sustain. I, I don't think that, that he's going to make massive improvements on that. But I do think the 412 BABIP is going to come way down. So, you know, Class A is playing over his head right now. Uh, when you factor in the park, when you factor in just the, the luck on balls in play, um, now we're we're talking about a guy who's already on the forty man roster, and I don't think he's ready for a jump to double A yet. So, you know, he probably gets the jump to double A at some point, even if he's not quite ready, just because he's already on the forty man roster. I don't think they're going to keep him at high A all season. Uh, but he, I think his his stats could go into the tank after the promotion of double A. Uh, highly doubt he gets to triple A this year. And a 75th percentile outcome on Class A. Uh, I, I couldn't think of any like one-to-one comps that I thought were were great, but I will say I think Class A is he's closer to projecting as an Akil Badu type than many people would care to admit. So Class A is a, is a pretty obvious sell-high guy to me right now. Uh, Drew Wolf, Tamar Johnson's upside versus Junior Caminero's upside. Advantage, Caminero. All right, Toolsy. Wilmer Flores, Detroit has struggled. I thought he was somewhat undervalued given his proximity, but now I have my doubts. What kind of projection do you have for him uh, beyond, 2020, beyond 2023? So before the season, I said he could be an innings-eating number four starter. Uh, in his outlook, I, I said that uh, up on roadwire.com uh, slash pod for, for free trial. And that's still my projection. Uh, innings eater, eating number four starter. Uh, you were you were probably too high on him uh, before the season, but I I still think he turns into a, a big league starter. And better days are probably ahead. I, I think you know he'll he'll round into form, uh, but I don't I don't think we'll see him till 2024 most likely. Uh, Matt Mountain. Uh, who are some batters outside of your top 150? to keep an eye on with high hit tool, low K rates, 
thinking about a head-to-head points league. Uh, so I just I used our really cool filters that are on the top 400 prospect rankings. Uh, shouts to the tech team for for putting all that together. Uh, but I basically filtered for uh, guys outside of the top 150 with strikeout rates below 22%. Um, Justin Henry Malloy with the Tigers is just, he's head-to-head points league gold. I would grab him immediately if he's available in your league, Matt. Uh, and I think I think Malloy will be heard from in redraft fairly soon. Uh, you look at the third baseman, the Tigers have been starting this year. It's just terrible. So um, Malloy, Malloy will be bid on in fab in the coming weeks. Um, and he's just been on fire at AAA. Uh, Luis Matos is technically qualified series outside my top 150. Uh, he's much better than that. Uh, Tyler Black is someone I got a question about. I'll talk a little bit more about him later. Uh, Sterling Thompson, another guy I'll talk a little bit more about later. Uh, Alec Burleson, Oslives Basabe, Justin Foscu, just a handful of guys who are outside my top 150 with high hit tools, low K rates per Matt's request. Um, Robert Easton, what the heck is going on with Luis Matos? He's got an 8.2% K rate and a 16.4% walk rate at double A. Uh, on the flip side, he's not really hitting for a lot of power or stealing much. I continue to be intrigued, but I just don't have a clue what his true talent is. And then Joshua Roberts says, what do you think of Luis Matos's start to the year? Is he back? So uh, probably the biggest trend I've noticed in all of baseball uh, through the first month is just it's so clear that teams are – really, really stressing swing decisions more than ever with their guys. And, you know, I'm sure they're using uh, high-tech tools to help teach this stuff. Uh, But you can just, you can see it in the numbers. These guys that have just sky-high walk rates all of a sudden. And they're, you know, a lot of times it's guys that like Miguel Vargas, who's had high walk rates before, and then they like doubled this year. And uh, Gunnar Henderson kind of fits that mold. Uh, Tristan Casas, uh, Luis Matos, he was always more of an aggressive bat-to-ball guy, uh, known for his bat speed, known for his athleticism. Um, and, you know, I think if he'd sort of stayed on that trajectory, he was kind of trending towards maybe Manuel Margot being kind of his realistic ceiling. Uh, but if this this high walk rate, uh, approach is sustainable for Matos, then he could be more of a, a leadoff hitter than like a number seven hitter. And I'm sure the Giants just stressed that to him or, or someone got to him and, and really um, made him kind of take this approach this year and it's really working for him. Uh, it, and it makes sense, right? Like if you've got big time bat speed, if you can just wait for pitches that you can drive rather than just putting everything in play, it makes a lot of sense. Um, now, in terms of Matos's power and his speed, I don't really see any evidence at this point in time that he's more than like a 15 homer guy, uh, but it's it's still super early. Um, and then speed, you know, I don't think he's like a 30 steal guy, but he could be a, a 10 to 20 steel guy, no problem. Um, 
it's just going to be interesting to see how long he can kind of sustain this current approach that uh, that Robert and Josh alluded to. Uh, but he's and you know I don't. It's too early after 15 games to say he's back, but he's he's a top 100 guy for sure. Uh, CJ is now the time to sell high on James Outman in Dynasty. Um, maybe <laughs> like I could, there, there could be trades out there where you'd be selling high and I'd be like, oh yeah, you got to take that. Uh, but I also think you could buy high on James Outman. It just, what's the market? Like, is, is there someone in your league who thinks James Outman's going to be a first round pick next year? Uh, you know, kind of tongue in cheek there, but like, you know, like if, if someone's offering you a really irresponsible package for Outman, then you could sell high on him. Um, but I'd also, if someone, like if CJ, if you put James Outman on your block, on your trade block today, uh, and I had and I had time, I would maybe reach out and, and see what you were looking for. Because if, you're, if your whole goal is, I got to cash out James Outman now, then I think someone could get the better of you in a trade and they could buy high on him and you might be selling... Uh, you might be in too much of a rush to to trade uh, Outman. So um, I think I think he's legit. I mean, he's not this good. He's not, he's not a first round pick in fantasy next year. But uh, I think he's he's very legit. Like I don't think this is a situation where like two months from now we're talking about how Outman's back at AAA and that was a crazy three week stretch he had or whatever. Um, Ross Red K. Uh, I actually got a couple questions here. So Ross Redkay asks, is Lion Richardson just beating up on weak competition while on rehab, or does the increased velo make him a legit difference-making SP prospect? Uh, and then Sonny says, everyone's talking about Andrew Abbott, and rightfully so, but how high are you on the guy who was promoted to AA behind him, Lion Richardson? So Richardson uh, arguably has louder stuff than Abbott. He's uh, touching 99 miles an hour. Um, you know, I think he was not, he was up in that range with the fastball as an amateur and then was more kind of low 90s pre-Tommy John surgery. Now he's back from Tommy John and he's back up to just kind of sitting in the upper 90s, touching 99. Uh, his slider has been uh, a big time weapon for him. I know Chris Blessing just sat in on, on Richardson and, and had some video out there on the slider. Uh, you know, so it's, he's got the two pitches. He's having a ton of success and you got the bump up to double a, uh, but let's see sort of how the command is at double a. Let's see how the, uh, third pitch is at double a, uh, still a lot of reliever-ish traits with Lion Richardson, but big up arrow next to his name. He, he'll be on the, the top 400 on the next update. Um, and I'd say you could probably vo- uh, value Richardson right now as sort of a borderline top 200 prospect, but <clears throat> you know a lot can change, especially for a guy like this between now and when I do the the next update in about a month. Uh, Ross Redkay, what's your read on Tyler Black at this point? I thought of him as a boring hit tool guy, but offseason reports indicated his speed had ticked up. And he's running early, and now he appears to be making a concerted effort to lift and pull. Is there some sneaky upside here? Yeah, Black. Uh, Black has really improved his stock. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's just doing the one thing, and you kind of mentioned it with the, the effort to lift and pull. 
we knew about the OBP skills. We knew about the, the high walk rates. We knew about the speed. Uh, that None of that's new. But the fact that he's actually getting to impact power um, in the early going at double A is that moves the, the needle a ton because he's going to have to do that to be more than just sort of a, a utility guy. And the Brewers depth chart could be a little crowded by the time Black's ready. Uh, probably not this year. Um, but sometimes guys that have just this kind of control over the zone, they can move fast. So uh, if Black's still out there in your dynasty leagues, his stock's trending up. I mean, he's he's got to be rostered in, in pretty much every dynasty league at this point. Uh, and he's more valuable in OBP leagues than, than batting average leagues, but he's he's still fine there. Uh, the power is the big thing with him, and that that's what really caught my attention when I was looking at him a week or two ago. All right, uh, Ross Red K. Uh, I wasn't overly excited about Sterling Thompson coming into the season. Sterling Thompson with the the Rockies, there uh, he was a top forty pick last year, but he's destroying high A. Do any of the tools appear to be better than expected? The low swing strike rate makes me think maybe scouting reports were light on the hit tool. So Thompson's hit tool is actually the, that's like all there is to him really. Like that's, that's why he was drafted on day one. That's the reason he's ranked on the top 400. Um, so I, I don't know what scouting reports you're talking about, but if you saw scouting reports that weren't high on his hit tool before the season, then yeah, those, those weren't very accurate. Uh, but he, I mean, he hit 354 with a 50% strikeout rate his last year at Florida, which is really good for an SEC hitter. Uh, in his draft note, I said that he had one of the better hit tools among college outfielders in the class. So uh, the hit tool with Thompson is the thing, and it's been the thing. But all that said, he's at high A, and he turns 22 in June. So he's old. That's that's old for the level for me, for a legit prospect, you know, Guys from the SEC from last year's draft, like we got to see at Double A before we can really say anything with with confidence. And then you factor in he's playing for Spokane, and I, I touched on this. Um, I touched on this a uh, couple podcasts ago, uh, and Spokane is just a, a super hitter friendly park. So Thompson's older; he's playing for Spokane. Uh, obviously the strikeout rate's great, swing strike strike rate's great, uh, but I think it's just it's going to be hard to evaluate any of these guys. Uh, as I mentioned with with Sam Dykstra a couple of weeks ago, that that outfield's loaded with real prospects, but just the inv- the hitting environment there, uh, especially for Thompson and like Jordan Beck, who's also a college guy, like it's just you expect these guys to put up crazy surface stats, right? Like there's no excuse to not do that where they are and. Uh, Thompson's just kind of p- performing maybe at a higher statistical level than you expected coming into the year, but none of this is surprising. This isn't like a, oh, Thompson's like a top 50 prospect now or something like that. I think we got to see him at double A before we get too excited. And Thompson is uh, is most likely a left fielder too. So like he's he's got to hit. All right, Franklin D. Roosevelt, what are your expectations for Brennan Davis at this point? Uh, there was a chance that like what I was hoping for from Davis is that he'd come back to AAA this year after dealing with all those back issues and he just breaks out like, right. Like he's, he's a post hype breakout. Everyone's getting excited. Like Brendan Davis is back. Um, it's a, it's a really small sample, but it doesn't look like that's happening for Davis. His run at AAA actually reminds me a lot of 
uh, Joey Weimer's run in the big leagues for the Brewers, where the, the strikeout rate is much lower than anticipated, but they just they're they're sacrificing impact for contact, and that that seems to be what's happening with Davis right now. It's like you know the the hit tool maybe it's better, but there's just not enough impact there relative to his physical tools, and he'll be 23 this whole year. Um, but that's, you know, if he doesn't show some signs this year, uh, I don't know. It's, it's looking like he wanted to know what my expectations are. I would say the odds are against Brennan Davis turning into an everyday player at this point. And uh, yeah, just a bummer. I, I was too high on him. Um, I think part of it is just the back issue has really been a, been a big problem, but um, yeah, I was too high on him uh, a couple years ago. Okay. Ryan, do you, uh, Ryan asks, do you intentionally diversify your early season prospect pickups, especially on the pitching side? I found myself spreading pickups out on guys like Justin Lang uh, and Loe with the Yankees, Jacob Miller uh, with the Marlins, Trace Bright with the Orioles, Bryson Motts with the Cardinals. Uh, so do I diversify my early season prospect pickups? Uh, I'm only in four dynasty leagues and I'm only in two leagues where that caliber of pitching prospect is worth adding the, you know, the, the high upside pitching prospect who's like three years away from the big leagues. Uh, so I don't, I don't really need to worry about diversifying since there's only a couple leagues where I would even be considering those types of guys. Um, but that said, I'm more likely to just load up on the guys I really believe in and hope to be right more often than not on those guys. Like, you know, all prospects are super risky. Um, if, if you picked up Justin Lang and he blows out his elbow, you know, that it, I don't think it's bad process to have picked him up in three leagues instead of one league. I mean, you should be expecting all those guys to just amount to nothing, right? Like they're, they're pitching prospects at single A. So uh, I don't think diversifying makes that much sense, Like especially if you have a preference. Like if you just can't make up your mind and you, you think these four guys are uh, about the same, then sure, diversify. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't really worry about that. And, and if it's a prospect I really like, I want them in all my leagues. Um, one guy that I think fits right into the, that mix too is Frank Mazzucato. With the Royals, he's been one of my favorite uh, arms to watch this year. He'll be he'll be a big riser. Uh, bad prospect ranks has a question. <laughs> uh, when are we the people going to dis discuss Dylan Lyle of the Nationals as a prospect living up to his draft pedigree after recovering from an injury? Early results look encouraging. Yeah, Lyle, he's uh, he was generating some buzz in the spring, and he's definitely impressed so far at single a uh lyle i think is a, a clear top 400 prospect at this point we'll see where he ends up on uh, the update in about a month um so there's a potential for five category production with lyle that said he's 20 and he's at single a and single a is just it's a really easy level right now for pitchers and hitters to put up uh, good stats especially if you're 20 21 so we want Lyle to get the bump to high A here in a couple months. I don't think they'll do it right away 
given the the missed time uh, that you mentioned. But um, I don't I don't see him making like a massive jump until he kind of does what he's doing right now, but at double or at high. A. Okay, got uh, got some Connor Norby questions. Uh, David M. DiCenzo, given some recent struggles and the young infield talent in Baltimore, can Connor Norby still have a positive impact in MLB this season? And then Russ Hinnon, any chance Connor Norby is getting surpassed in the pecking order for Baltimore? Lots of middle infield prospects in the system. He's been okay, but not great at AAA start of the year. Uh, yeah, Norby's been pretty impatient. It's all, it's kind of Norby's stats look like kind of Norby's trying to hit his way to the big leagues um, rather than just kind of treating it like a process, uh, which, you know, I can't blame him. I don't want to be in the big leagues too if I was at AAA. Uh, but if the Orioles, like, let's say that today the Orioles are like, we got to call up a guy, we got to call up an infielder, uh, someone's hurt. We we need we need one of our AAA infielders to come up. I think it would be either Joey Ortiz, who's on the forty man roster and is the best defender of these guys, or Jordan Westberg, who's not on the forty man roster but has probably had the best start to the year of these guys. So I think Norby would be behind Ortiz and Westberg for a promotion if that promotion was coming today. But it's also April twenty sixth. And the Orioles aren't going to be calling up any of these guys today. And so it might not be till like June 20th or something when uh, they're like, all right, we're going to dip into our, our uh, infield depth at AAA. And like Norby could be the hottest hitter in the minors in the month of May. So it's just, we don't know. We don't know how it's going to play out. If they dipped into that depth today, Norby would be uh, sticking at AAA. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Um, he's also the worst defender of those three, um, so that matters. Uh, definitely shouldn't you shouldn't be stashing Connor Norby in redraft leagues. Uh, he's a dynasty guy and a watchless guy. He should not be on any redraft benches right now. Um, Will Bell, when does Jackson Holiday become your number one prospect? He says, joking, sort of. And then what do the Orioles do with all these middle infield prospects? And do we see Colton Kowser debut this year? Uh, next, you know, next month or the month after, I should just do a Orioles only uh, mailbag episode because I honestly think I could get enough questions for that. Uh, but Jackson Holiday, uh, he could be my number one prospect by the end of the year. Like that's in play uh, for sure. Like he's he looks he's got that look. Like he you watch Jackson Holiday, he looks like a, a future number one prospect. Certainly a future number. Five, or top five prospect. Um, he's just the real deal. Uh, nothing, nothing bad to say about Jackson Holiday. He's he's kind of on a rocket ship right now. Uh, and I tweeted out a picture of the the early hard hit data we've got up on the site. And uh, there are a bunch of you know impressive guys on there. Junior Caminero obviously was on there, but like for Jackson Holiday to have the same type of hard hit rate at single A as a teenager, as some of these like DH types have at AAA, it was just wild. So uh, holiday's awesome. And then how does, how do the Orioles, what do the Orioles do with all these middle infield prospects? Uh, you know, I think we see Ortiz and Westberg at some point this year, might see Norby sometime this year, uh, but, you know, they could trade a big leaguer, they could trade prospects, they could trade 
a big leaguer and a prospect. Like there's all kinds of stuff they could do here. Um, it's just, it's going to be a very annoying situation for fantasy. If you don't have what like Adley Rutschman is not going to be an annoying guy to have in fantasy. And I don't think Gunnar Henderson will be either. Uh, he is right now, uh, but I think long-term Gunnar Henderson is, is a monster. Uh, Jackson Holiday is going to be a monster. So some guys won't be affected by this, like Wander Franco and Randy Rizrain are fine in Tampa Bay, but uh, this could be kind of a – they're building a better version kind of what the Rays built. And so there's just going to be guys who don't get as many plate appearances as we wish they would. And – you know, if I have Connor Norby or I have Joey Ortiz or I have Jorge Mateo even, like I'm hoping that they get traded to another team because those guys all project as, you know, guys who are playing every day on a middle of the pack team or a, a bad team. But uh, the Orioles just have so much depth right now. Uh, and then with Kowser, I think we see him at some point this summer. Um, I do think we'll see Kyle Stowers first unless maybe it's like a, a Cedric Mullins injury and they just need a center fielder. Um, but again, this is not a, not a perfect situation. Like I think Kowser part of the appeal with him is that he's just the Orioles leadoff hitter and he's hitting in front of uh, the gunners and the Adleys and stuff. But um, you know, I don't think we'll see Kowser necessarily when he's ready. I think we'll see Kowser when the Orioles are ready to kind of give him a spot, um, which aren't the same thing. Uh, Andrew Price, what are your early impressions of Cole Wilcox and a potential ETA? Uh, love what Cole Wilcox is doing at double A. The Rays jumped him over high A completely. Uh, he's not even generating ground balls at his usual clip, and he's still been dominant. Uh, I think he's Wilcox is probably behind Mason Montgomery, who I like even more among their double A arms, but I think we'll see Wilcox in the majors sometime next year. If he stays healthy, uh, really good story. And uh, I've added Wilcox in a, I think I added Wilcox in the Highlander uh, this past week. So uh, if you're looking for an upper level pitching prospect and you're in a shallower dynasty league, Wilcox is definitely a guy to go grab. Charlie's. Oscar Colas seemed to have earned his playing time from spring training play, but he's been scuffling. Any concerns long-term? How about the play of Josh Lowe and Cody Bellinger? So Colas is um, – yeah, I mean, uh, this kind of ties back to Eric Holterman's question from the beginning of the show, but um, this is kind of a clear case – uh, and I would, I would even put Anthony Volpe with the Yankees in the same boat here, but kind of a clear case of a team sort of making up their mind on a player rather than it being kind of a ironclad process. Like, I mean, should you, is it good process to let a guy who struggled at AAA last year to make the team out of spring training like Volpe? I mean, maybe. Uh, is it good process? I think the White Sox basically went into spring training hoping they could justify putting Colas on the everyday roster. Like, is that good process? Like, not really. Uh, but Colas, the, the number one thing Colas has going for him is that he is a player whose body can handle playing right field. And the White Sox only have one other guy like that, uh, maybe, and that's Gavin Sheets. 
Like Sheet should be a DH. Uh, Colas, you know, he's he's probably a good enough defender to just be an outfielder. And that gives him a leg up over guys like Gavin Sheets and Eli Jimenez and uh, you know, Andrew Vaughn. Like he might benefit just from the White Sox being unable to not load up on designated hitters. So, you know, Colas is he's got a 112 max EV this year, but he's just not doing it with any regularity. Uh, maybe they send him back to AAA, but again, this is just terrible team building by the White Sox. They've just got all these guys who can only DH or play first base, and Colas happens to be able to play right field. So, um, I, you know, I wasn't going after Colas and redraft, so I guess I'm not surprised by any of this. But I, it's not like I'm going to just bump him off my dynasty rankings or anything like that. Um, now, Josh Lowe. I think Lowe's breakout is maybe the most exciting long-term breakout in the league to me uh, because of just how high his five by five ceiling is. Like this is a, this is a guy who could very realistically go 30, 30, like the tools are just obviously there for him to go 30, 30. Um, big question is like the Rays now have all these outfielders now that Jose series back. So I feel like Lowe probably isn't going to play as much as we want him to. Um, but long-term, I'm just so excited about Josh Lowe. Uh, love love what he brings to the table um, from an upside standpoint long-term. Um, and Bellinger, just, you know, wow. Uh, really hard to uh, pick holes in what he's doing. Uh, you know, he's not going to hit 300 all year, I don't think, but uh, he, could be a, he could be a guy that wins fantasy leagues this year for people. Uh, like Cody Bellinger, you know, he could finish as like a top 15 player on the player radar. Uh, he's done it before. <laughs> he might do it again. Uh, so, yeah, uh, props to him. And he's going to get a – if he stays healthy and just doesn't turn into a pumpkin, uh, he's going to just get a massive payday in the offseason. Uh, Ryan Veneman, would you trade Mason Miller for Brandon Nimmo straight up? And then he says he's rebuilding. He's last place in his dynasty league. So I think Nimmo should have more dynasty value than Mason Miller, given just the uncertainty of like, we don't know if Miller's going to throw hundred innings in the big leagues this year, 125 innings in the big leagues this year. Like he might get hurt his next time out. Um, so I think the uncertainty from a volume standpoint with Miller and then just kind of know what you're getting from Nimmo. He, he hasn't been the picture of health either in his career. But I think you at least kind of, you know, he's a position player and you know what you're getting. So he, he could break down, but less likely than, than with Miller. So I think Nimmo should have more value in a dynasty league than Mason Miller. But if you're rebuilding in your last place, <clears throat> you're basically trading for Nimmo to trade him again. Like you're not going to keep Nimmo on this rebuilding dynasty team for the next two or three years, or you, you shouldn't. Like you would be getting him to flip him. So uh, if you think you can turn Nimmo into a, a better young piece than Mason Miller, uh, then you could trade Miller for Nimmo and then make the, make another trade, but um, not not the ideal guy to go after if you're a last place team. Uh, but Miller is also not the ideal pitching prospect to have. Like, at least to me, like if you're multiple years away from contending, you can't bank on Miller being healthy at that point or being built up to like 160 innings at that point. Uh, Antonio Andolini. Is Luis Ortiz a must-own? And which two would you keep out of these three? Brandon Fott, Mason Miller, Tanner Bybee. 
Uh, I mean, nobody who's out there on waivers in your league is a must own, but Ortiz has a high ceiling and should make double digit starts this year in the majors. So I think he's a, he's a fine stash just kind of comes down to how many bench spots you have, who are you dropping? Uh, I would take all the guys you listed after him over Ortiz. So Fott, Miller, Bybee, I'd want Fott and Bybee in Dynasty, and I'd want Fott and Miller in Redraft. Jim Delaney asks, do you believe the reduced K rates of Nolan Gorman and Matt Chapman are real? So Gorman's gains in the strikeout department seem more significant and sustainable to me than Chapman's. Uh, Chapman hasn't even really cut his strikeout rate a ton. Uh, the big difference with Chapman is just that his his barrel rate is almost tripled. He's barreling balls at a 32% clip right now. That's not sustainable. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I think Matt Chapman's strikeout rate just kind of is what it is. Like it, it's probably a couple percentage points higher than it will be at the end of the season. But um, the big question is just like, what does his barrel rate settle in at here? Um, when we get to like June, July, uh, that's, that's kind of the big change with him. He's just everything he's hitting, he's hitting it out of the park. Um, and then with Gorman, like I, I might have to take the L there. Uh, I just, I didn't think that his plate discipline numbers would be where they're at right now. Uh, and I just thought that was such a crowded situation I kind of expected him to to be the odd guy out because of the the hit tool, but instead he's just he's making it work. He's just doing a, a ton of damage um, when he does make contact. So I think he can, you know, as long as he kind of keeps that walk rate around ten percent and strikeout rate under thirty percent, I think Gorman can just do a ton of damage. Um, so I'll I'll probably end up taking the L there. Although it's too I think it's too early in the season to take official L's. Um, Made that I've made that mistake in the past, but uh, I'll be willing to take that L in uh, in weeks or months or something like that. Uh, Leo Kelser, what is your take on Jake McCarthy? Uh, was widely viewed as a breakout candidate going into the season, but results have been very poor. Hope for a turnaround or throw him back? Uh, I definitely take issue with your phrasing of was widely viewed as a breakout candidate because uh, I, I mean, to me at least like the people that I talk with and follow uh, McCarthy was a, he was widely viewed as a potential bust candidate going into the season. Like, so I, I thought he was extremely divisive coming into the season. Uh, there were some people that I assume thought he was a breakout candidate. Otherwise he wouldn't have been getting drafted as high as he was, but um, yeah, I just, there was, I think in hindsight, it's very easy to kind of uh, say that that was a bad pick. Uh, there were plenty of people who were saying it was a bad pick at the time. So in redraft, I think you cut him. And in dynasty, you hold him. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is uh, all that surprising. It's surprising how quickly McCarthy lost his job, but not surprising that it happened. Uh FTK, what are we doing with Riley Green and Dynasty? Am I just stuck with his striking out ass for the long haul? Uh, you're stuck with Riley Green unless you want to sell really low on him. Uh, I think Jared Kelnick and Josh Lowe are some pretty good examples of why being patient 
with this caliber of player can pay off. Uh, that doesn't mean that it will pay off being patient with Riley Green, but uh, you know he's over a year younger than Jared Kalnick, and he's over two years younger than Josh Lowe. He's still 22 years old. So uh, I think Riley Green, you know, he might be a great buy low in Dynasty. So I think you are kind of stuck uh, holding on to him. Um, Tom Braun with Jose Urquidy scuffling. Is it crazy to contemplate dropping Kyle Bradish for Forrest Whitley? Yes. I think that's, that'd be pretty crazy. Uh, I know Bradish is coming off a terrible start. Uh, I know that because he did it in a bunch of my lineups, but that's probably his worst start of the season. And Whitley had those great first two starts at AAA. He's been kind of so-so in his last two. So, just by Whitley being on the 40-man roster, he could be the guy if the Astros need to get a guy from AAA to, to hop into that rotation. But Whitley, just the volatile if – if you didn't like what Bradish did last night, I think Whitley could be extremely volatile on a start-to-start basis in the big leagues. Um, his his stock's up. Like, he's, he's back to being kind of a, a guy that I do want to have in Dynasty, but uh, I don't think you can drop Kyle Bradish for him. Uh, Phil Kramer. Everson Pereira was dropped in my 20-team dynasty league where we roster nine minor leaguers per team. How concerning has his performance been? Is he a must-add? Several top 100 industry-ranked prospects have been dropped in the first few weeks based on performance. So the fact that you – it's nine minor leaguers per team – you know, I could see you having nine prospects that you don't want to drop for Everson Pereira. So I, it kind of comes down to who's your worst of the nine prospects. Um, I, I think Pereira should be rostered in a league where 180 prospects are rostered like yours. Uh, it just kind of comes down to who you're dropping to add him. Um, he's, he's been so streaky uh, in his career, I just don't want to overreact to his start in 14 games. Um, like Everson Pereira's start to the season is just a classic example of why I don't update my prospect rankings in April. Uh, I do those right before Memorial Day, the end of May. Um, so, but at that point, like if Pereira's got the exact same slash line, exact same strikeout to walk, and everything like that, uh, he'll be lower on my update uh, next month, but there's a lot of time between now and then. Uh, Danny J, should I view Hector Rodriguez with the Reds as the next huge helium teenager? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, He's, he's a five foot eight center fielder at single a. And, you know, it's, it's nice that he's got three home runs already. That's, that's more power uh, than I would have expected him to have, have shown so far this year, but, uh, that's, you know, I don't think he's a massive helium guy. He might be a little underrated in some circles, but, um, Jason Q pick two to hold from Jackson Churio, Elliot Ayla Cruz, Jackson holiday, and Evan Carter. Uh, I'll hold Jackson Churio and Jackson holiday. Danny J Cody Bradford stats rule. Could he be a sneaky dynasty ad? Uh, so Cody Bradford, a lefty in the Rangers org, um, he he made 26 starts at Double A last year and got um, unselected, did not get selected in the Rule Five draft. Uh, 
lefties with really good changeups can sometimes just put up uh, numbers in the minors that oversell their big league potential. I think uh, you could add Bradford in a dynasty league. I don't think that's crazy, but he's more of kind of like a back end starter. Uh, Bobo B after moving Casey Schmidt into your top 100, any second thoughts now, given his relatively punchless performance so far in triple a, uh, yeah, I mean, Schmidt would probably move down if I updated the rankings today, but I doubt he'd move down enough to get like a down, a red down arrow. Um, I I'm more concerned with his, his lack of walks than his lack of home runs. Uh, Sacramento is is the least hitter friendly park in the PCL, so um, I think the I think the power will will show up uh, with Schmidt here in in the coming weeks, but you know you don't want him to be like a two percent walk rate guy, so um, that would be my main concern there. All right, uh, this has been another end of the month mailbag episode. Uh, it's Roadwire fantasy baseball podcast brought to you by rival fantasy as i said i I couldn't get to all the questions you guys asked really appreciate everyone who sent a question but i will get to almost all the questions you guys asked in the article version which should go up on the site thursday Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in and i'll be back with you next week catch those springtime vibes all over arizona Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure.